Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley D. Maria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It is February 6th. This is season three of Faith Fondue, episode two. We are in the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. And Anne, life is getting a little bit back to, to normal or ordinary for me after my January uh, funk. How are you? I'm good, Haley. Thank you. And I'm glad to hear that. Um, you never want your friends. We all have go in and out of the funks, right? So today, let's see what we have in store. Looks like we're going to be talking about this time of year um, in schools, which is admissions. I know you're in full swing there. I was able to get down to Monterey this last weekend for a golf tournament. I want to talk about a new name I'm christened to the Washington football team. And I'm looking forward to talking about St. Scholastica. I think you raised some good questions and I'll talk about milestones as um, kind of a spiritual practice. So tell us, Haley, you know, so many people are familiar with the admissions process. It's fascinating, isn't it? And we've been through it. Our people's children go through it. They're in it right now. So talk about this time of year. Yeah. So I work in admissions um, at a local school here in Annapolis and we are in the, it is admission season. It is, um, you know, when I'm thinking about the flame and what's hot this week, I what's hot is that I worked most most of the week. Um, you know, I was working all day on Saturday. I came home and did more work. I was working at night. You know, pretty typical for anyone who works in education, I think. Um, sure. No complaints. I love it. It's fascinating. It's a really important task. And, you know, especially this year, our school's in a situation where we we have applicants that we're really going to want to take, but we um, we just don't have space for them. And I think, you know, certainly colleges find themselves in those situations. I think a lot of schools are these days. Um, but, you know, it's it, it does give you some insight into, you know, for example, what Edward's going through, my oldest or my youngest son who's in his senior year, you know, that process of applying and then just kind of waiting and wondering what's going on with your application. Well, on my side, I can tell you what's going on. We are looking at every single part of it. And, you know, these are these are I don't want to say life changing. That sounds really dramatic. But, you sure. know, this is a big decision for, you know, where families want to send their child to kindergarten. You know, it's an important decision. I should I should put it that way. Um, so we want to make sure we do a, a thorough job, especially when we know there are students we're not going to be able to take. But it's it it's not much different, I think, whether it's preschool, kindergarten, high school, or college. It's yeah. it's a very thoughtful process, and um, you know, just just interesting to see how parents approach it. But really fascinating on the backside. To I feel really good about our process. I think we do a, a very holistic approach to looking at our students. It's not just numbers. It's not just certainly not test scores. Um, we don't have any sort of admissions test. Um, so anyway, it's fun. It's it's busy, but yeah. I love my work. I love my job and I feel good about how we do things. That's good. And you know, honestly, a shout out to people who work in admissions because it is, that has to be a grind. Just working in a school myself where we probably get three to four applicants per position available and we do interviews uh we did interviews in person i was in on the interview process we do zoom interviews um tours you name it just to share the message of the school and then there's always a personal component i was able to write a personal recommendation for a couple of friends whose children are seeking to be at certain schools and how 
um, much it means to be able to advocate for someone, you know, and tell a little bit about their story. So I know that I do, when you say it's thoughtful, I, I agree. I, I see that in our process too. So as difficult as the whole outcome may be, it's good to know there's good people behind it. So keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, I think it also helped bring me out of my January funk that I talked about last week. It won because I was just busy. So who has time to be in a funk when you're busy? And two, I spent yesterday with 16 kindergartners or, you know, 16 four and five-year-olds at reading, I was listening. They were, they were listening to, you know, stories being read by our kindergarten teachers and they were jumping in and, and being engaged. And let me tell you, if you're having a bad day, I know you teach high school. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, working in a high school as well. If you just need a smile, find a kindergarten class or find a little two-year-old class. It'll make your day. Um, so kudos yeah. to, to all of our applicants also who kind of helped change my funk yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Well, my students and I were in a funk part of this week because sometimes I think coming out of COVID, there's just a, it's just a quieter group. They're a little more reluctant to share. And I deliberately planned a lesson plan on Friday where they are all speaking and talking to somebody different. And it was so, you know, so much more fun and enjoyable. And I said, you know, when the teacher wins, everybody wins. So meaning I'm kind of this barometer. If I, if, if it goes well, it's because they've gone well. I mean, it's gone well with them. So really just keep encouraging, you know, older kids to just be who they are and share their points of view because it shouldn't be, you know, so different than kindergarten and first grade. I wish it wasn't, but we know the development of you know, young men and women and all that it takes. I know, it's but, hard. but they still have that kindergartner in them. I see it even with Somewhere, my 18-year-old, right? If you can bring mm-hmm. that that silly side out, that engaging side out, um, boy, there's nothing better as a teacher than than seeing that side so of true. your students. So true. So fun for um, me this well, week. I, I was, um, you know, didn't have much time. Of course, my husband loves to scroll through social media. He finds it highly entertaining. I enjoy it for certain things, but I don't spend as much time on it. But I did come across a video that I sent to you that I just found fascinating. And I know you were there. So there was a shot by Justin Spieth that I I don't know where I thought he was going to hit it. I actually, and and we can upload it um, so that our viewers can see it too. But he was walking to the edge of a cliff. And I thought he was going to hit it to the left, kind of back into the fairway where you could see it. And all of a sudden he goes to swing and send it, sends it over what looks like a huge ravine, but really kind of a treacherous Mm -hmm. shot. But of course this week is the, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. It's a golf tournament that uh, my family certainly has always enjoyed. My cousins usually go up to watch. Um, So I'm very familiar with it as a non-golfer, but tell me a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, I'm impressed, Haley. That's some good knowledge right there. Wow. It is. It's formerly known as the Clam Bake, but uh, you are absolutely right. It's a pro-am. So you have professionals and then amateurs. A number of these folks are CEOs or big-time business people that get invited, friends of players, whatnot, um, celebrities. There's a significant number of celebrities. I'll talk about a few of them. But so Jordan Spieth got really hot at the end of the round yesterday. So his he's 
contending for the win. And it's because of gutsy shots like that, which are incredible. You know, that one of the number one rules in golf is to play the ball as it lies. So you always have the option to fix the lie, you know, to call an unplayable if it were, or do stroke and distance and you take a penalty, but he's the best of the best. So he makes that shot over the ravine and yeah, the carry is remarkable. It's incredible. It's so fun to see that they make it look, I mean, that's the greats. The greats make something look easy and to see that is, is notable. So thank you. Yes. For sharing that video. Um, but it was when you're there, you, what you're describing is you have the ocean, you know, the Monterey Bay, and there are these whales that are swimming by. The weather here has been remarkable. It's been like no wind and very clear. And it's striking because I know in the rest of the country, there's ice, there's snow, there's storms. So it's this, you know, it's probably intentional that they have it there just to show the beauty of this area of the Monterey Peninsula. And I thought your family had had gone before. So my school is about an hour and 15 minutes from there. So I actually left after class on Friday and headed down. And it's such a treat because it is two hours from San Francisco. But once you're there, you're always like, why am I not here in this beautiful place more often? And there are three golf courses that the tournament is played on. Um, The Monterey Peninsula is home to many golf courses because, again, the area is so perfect for it. Okay, can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess what the three are? Yeah, please do. I'm super impressed. So Pebble Beach. Yes. Cypress. No. Ah, and what about spy? Good. What about Spyglass? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Well, two yeah. out of three is not bad for yeah. someone who's literally never played golf. <laughs> I don't. No, that's it's excellent. You're right. Pebble Beach is the number two ranked course in the country for its beauty. Um, it's not as difficult as Spyglass Hill, which is where I was on Friday. And then the third is Monterey Peninsula Golf Club, which okay. is a private club. Cypress is very exclusive. I don't, it'd be interesting to look at the history of what they've had there, if anything. But that's like many people's favorite golf course. I've never played there. It is very exclusive, which a Notre Dame grad, friend of mine who's a, a very talented and successful golf writer, has said that he has a problem with that, that the the best courses in this country are exclusive. It shouldn't be that way because it's not in Scotland, for example. Right. But um, my friend was volunteering at for the week. And so she, and most people go to Pebble Beach because that's the one that's so iconic and right. beautiful and great to walk around. And it's a public so course, right? Isn't it Pebble is, Beach public? Okay. Yes, yeah. very good. Yes, it's pricey, but it's public, so... You can walk the grounds and see the celebrities and there's, there's a fun, just mix of different people, but we were in the, so I got there later, obviously because of teaching. And so the last groups were coming through and I don't know if you've ever had this, but do certain like musical artists, like somehow they come up in my playlist where I'll, I'll kind of catch a certain artist and I'll start listening to him or her regularly. And for some reason, in the last two weeks, I've been listening to Darius Rucker, his song. So he was the head singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, mm-hmm. which was very popular when we were in college, kind mm-hmm. of defines that era. I saw them in New Orleans in concert when I lived in Louisiana with my housemates. I, I think his voice is incredible. I think they're very talented. And I've known that he's a golfer. He's been written up in kind of Sports Illustrated. He's a big kind of sports fan, right? He's kind of this you know, so everybody kind of knows who he is. I would, is that fair to say, like, or familiar? I would say so. Our age? Yeah, y- yes, for sure. 
right? So he's not Hootie, but there, he's Darius Rucker, and he's now in the country music. Um, like that's where he's recording. Part of it I've heard is that there's just not like pure rock and roll. Like pop music has changed so much now that there's not like space for somebody with kind of a voice like his or Hootie and the Blowfish. Like they don't really know where to put a band like that. So a number of artists find success in country music. So that's where he is. He's an individual artist. And some of his songs I really like and some I don't. But recently I've liked all of his songs. So this is just a backdrop for I go to the tournament and the group that we're following, he's in the group and it's not crowded. It's you're up close and personal with these people. I'm talking maybe five feet from him and I'm looking at him and he looks at me like he knows, like he's, we've met before. Like he gives you that look like, have we met? And I don't say anything. I don't say hello. I don't say, I love your music or this is a favorite song. And it's so not like me. And I'm so annoyed at myself because (laughs) I think it's always great to affirm. I mean, you know, you want celebrities to have their space, but at the same time, it's also great to engage and just say, thank you for your music. Or I, again, I love your voice. Nope. Blew it. Multiple chances just to reach out. Didn't do it. So I'll have to go back next year. That's okay. That's okay. It's, um, you know, they put themselves out there at an event like this. They probably expect it. So maybe you yeah. caught him off guard and gave him the unexpected, and he's still wondering. I wonder why that girl didn't say anything. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Bill Murray was in his grip, so he was taking. He, Bill Murray kind of like commands attention and mm, and whatnot. Interesting. But, so um, maybe he was hoping yeah. somebody would recognize him. <laughs> well, he's hard on. Yeah, and he's and he's a very good golfer. He's a place to a seven. So fun to be out there. Always fun to see the beauty of the area, and none of it happens without these volunteers. So kudos to Leslie and. All of these folks who, I mean, honestly work along, it's no small shift. And if it's raining and then some years it's been pouring rain, all the more credit to these people. So Right, right. No, we've always talked about that. Events like this don't happen without hours and hours and hours from volunteers. Yeah. So Haley, I have a question for you because this is related to the Washington football team announced their uh, mascot now. Mm-hmm. So as people know about about 18 months ago they relinquished the title Washington Redskins they've been the Washington football team the name has been now they're the Washington Commanders the name has been I don't know how excited people are about that name and it has an interesting I don't know connection to the military or like what is a commander and all these different questions so I started to wonder like what if you don't like the name of your team or what if you don't like the color, like the by name, I mean the mascot or the colors. And I thought about this because I don't like the color purple and I know <laughs> the Ravens are purple and black. Now, black and purple is kind of tough, but I've always wondered, you know, if I was a Vikings fan, what would I do? I don't like purple and it's gold. Or what if I was a Washington Commanders fan and I don't like that name? What is your thought to all of that? So I think when you're a real fan, fan, you just go all in. At least that's been my approach. So I was never a big fan of purple growing up. I didn't dislike it, but it was, I just had no thoughts about it. We have lived in, you know, Maryland for now 18 years and we are diehard Ravens fans. Certainly my kids are. 
And again, their high school is is purple also. So so we've gone all in on purple. And whether I like the color or not, I love it now. I wear it. It's it's more the pride of supporting your team or your school than it I think it is the color. It's uh, I will say for me, nobody really buys purple, so it's always on sale, which I love. You can you walk into a <laughs> store and the purple section's on sale. So that's kind of nice, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think you just embrace it. Now, there's people who will complain about everything. But and I have heard certainly living in the D.C. area, a lot of comments, jokes, memes, some very clever takes on the name appropriate and not. That's just going to happen. I think that's kind of the beauty of social media. People get very clever and probably, again, spend too much time throwing things out there. I I, I think like anything this is the name, and if you are a true diehard Redskins Washington fan, then you're just going to go with it, and it is what it is. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. I think some people, just as they held on to calling them the Redskins while they were the Washington football team, perhaps there will be some fans who continue to call it the Washington football team until Commanders takes over. Time will tell. There'll be an uproar. People will complain. You'll see a lot of posts about it. And then I think eventually, five, 10 years from now, not my kids, yeah. but my grandkids, they're not going to know anything different. So, yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's a very strange thing to change a name. And it's almost like changing your identity. It was even strange for me, you know, when I went from Haley Scott to Haley DiMaria. It's, it's very strange. But after a while, it just, you, that's who you are. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's not uncommon, though. There are a number of schools in the country that are changing their name. Sure. Yes. Because they may have been named after someone who endorsed slavery or was involved in, uh, you know, unethical behaviors, eugenics, whatnot. I know it's also quite costly to do that, to Absolutely. change a name. So, for example, a friend went to Sir Francis Drake High School in San Anselmo. I don't know a lot about Sir Francis Drake and what he did that was problematic, but she was telling me just the legal cost. Then you have everything that goes with the school, letterhead, branding, you know, anything, all of it. website, yep. all of it. And not that that's not, you know, don't let, when we're teaching morality, don't let financial concerns dictate whether something's right or wrong. And I hope it doesn't come across that way. But here in San Francisco, you know, the school board, which is there, we have an election coming up, by the way, in our city, because there's a vote to recall the DA and even the school board. They were going to rename an incredible number of schools, including Abraham Lincoln, including really? Diane Feinstein. Yes. And the decision was to not name schools after people, but after places of natural or historic interest. And that way you avoid, because at some point there's always going to be somebody that, that there's going to be something controversial, but in Oakland, you know, recently they renamed a school after Barack Obama. There's a movement for Kamala Harris um, as the first, you know, woman of color who's a vice president and, you know, quick to, to change in a positive, you know, what is seen as positive, but again, history, the arc of history can be complex. So it's going to be interesting. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because you're right. It is, it, it's an investment and it an investment should never 
not happen at the cause of, you know, doing, doing what's the right, right. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But we'll see. Only time will tell about yeah. the commanders. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So, so let's move spiritual on. Spiritual yeah, stew. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, well, it's interesting. I was reading the gospels for this upcoming week and I saw that February 10th upcoming this week is the feast of St. Scholastica. Now this is a saint I've never heard of before, ever. Sometimes I've heard of one or I don't know much about them, but I read this and I, I actually thought I'd read it wrong. I said, who is that? So I know last year was, you know, I spent some time learning more about the saints. I really liked yes. that. So I, I will continue that. I think that's probably yeah. the best thing about a resolution is not something that has a finite time, that it's something that really changes you and becomes part of your, your daily existence. So I did a little research into the, into Saint Scholastica. I always find the, the lives of saints super fascinating. And I also find, uh, I really challenge myself oftentimes when they are martyred to put myself in their position and think, hmm, would I, would I do that? Am I capable of that? Do I have such a strong faith that I would be willing to die for that? So that's my own little challenge that I have every time. Um, St. Scholastica, as far as I read, um, was not martyred, but she had a really interesting life. She is the patron saint of the Benedictine nuns. She is credited with, with starting the Benedictine nuns. Wow. And uh, in Italy, she it also says that she's the patron saint of education. Now, that didn't surprise me because Scholastica seemed clearly ed- educational to me. It's one of the reasons I found her name so interesting and wanted to read more about her. So then, of course, I, I Googled patron saint of education and she was nowhere to be found. So I don't think, she, you know, of course, you've got Elizabeth Ann Seton. You, you, there are a number okay. of saints that I think are more that we associate more with education than St. Scholastica. Clearly, I've never associated her with with education. I've never heard of her. But I thought that so I thought that was interesting how how she became the patron saint of something that other people don't really know she's the patron saint of. She's also the patron mm. saint of uh, convolutioned ch- children or convolutions, convolutions. Convolutions? So convolutions. So I had okay. to look that up. So that is, yeah. that is like seizures. And oh, con- convulsions, right? Convulsions. Con- convulsions. convulsions. Yeah, convulsions. Yeah, okay, convulsion. I had the wrong, yeah. yeah. Okay. Threw an extra letter in there. Convulsions, uh, which I thought was interesting. So now I mm. hopefully never need to pray for a con- yes. oh, convulsive. That's the word. Convulsive children. She is the patron okay. saint of convuls- convulsive children. Um, so, so kind of an interesting, an interesting life, an interesting story um, with her brother Benedict, and yes. kind of that fa- famous story. Not, obviously, not famous to me because I hadn't heard of her. Of wanting to spend more time talking to her brother, who she only saw once a year. She didn't want him to leave, so she prayed to him not to leave. He still wanted to go. Prayed to God that he wouldn't leave, and all of a sudden, a, a big storm came. So I, you know, I. I have lots of thoughts and comments on on some of these events, but uh, enjoyed reading about her, and and we'll probably spend a little more time digging in deep because I think I'm just scratching the top of of why she was um, ordained or, or not ordained. My boy, I'm definitely um, in my words beatified, canonized, canonized, canonized as a saint. Yep. 
super interesting. Uh, first of all, nice work on the fact checking. I think that's always good to, you know, do a little research. The con, if you had asked me, Haley, if I had, once you said she was Benedict's sibling, then like there was a ding, 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 because I have taught about saints as in relationship to others. So for example, St. Isidore, his wife, Isabella was a saint. So couples who are saints, married couples who become saints or siblings who are saints. So you have with the disciples, you know, the apostles, um, Andrew and Peter, a number of them are siblings, James and John, right? So I think that's important to know that we're members of families. Teresa Lizou, her parents, I believe are beatified. So holy people often are not in isolation. Mm -hmm. It's a family or a system that supports that holiness. I think that's very important to consider. So also she has a brother, right? Brothers and sisters could be no different. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, an interesting reflection, how much she loved her brother. And I wonder if because she was a sister, she was cloistered. And these folks, when these women were cloistered, they just never saw their family. Yes, she was. And that's, and that is where she is credited with um, the, the Benedictine nuns, sort of starting that first order there. Okay. And so you just, I don't, I won't, I'm, you know, I'm reluctant to criticize that, which I don't understand, but I've had, you know, friends, women that I've worked with at NCEA Washington that were close. One of my former colleagues, she was a presentation sister. She was cloistered. She couldn't go to her own twin sister's wedding, really missed out on major life events. And I, I don't understand it. So I'm not going to, you know, throw any darts at this, but kind of wondering and that's, there are still sisters who are cloistered and I don't know what their life is like. The understanding that I have nominally is that their family becomes their religious community, but hopefully never at the expense of our, our own families. Right. Right. So the other thing that's interesting to me, and, and this is where, um, you know, this is where Jamie would tell me that I am a convert and not a cradle Catholic, because I actually question a lot of these things, but reading about her family it talks about how she was born to very wealthy parents and i often and and you hear that it's not uncommon for saints in years back certainly popes you know in years back to have come from very very wealthy families and i'm not questioning and i feel bad even wondering but i'm gonna wonder anyway and say it out loud uh did that does that have something to do with them being canonized? Is is was that part of them? You know, you look at someone like Mother Teresa, who, no doubt, whether you are Catholic or not, she was a remarkable woman. And I'm not saying Saint Scholastica wasn't, but it seems like a lot of these very well known either saints or popes from a thousand fifteen hundred years ago came from wealthy families. And is, is it, I just, I'm curious about that. And I don't know anything about it. Um, But it just, it seems interesting when you have wealthy popes, you know, are they canonizing their wealthy friends, families, kids? I I don't know. I'm really throwing, I'm really stretching here. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say a couple of things. Number one, you know, studies kind of show when you look at religion and society that 
the wealthier a nation gets, the less religious it becomes. So you could almost give them credit because these are people of affluence and means. And so renouncing, you know, to renounce the wealth is remarkable because they're taken care of. Their lifestyle is, is not, I don't want to say a struggle because that's not, you know, but at the same time, maybe they're spiritually hungry, obviously, but their literal needs have been met. So they're renouncing their wealth, like St. Francis of Assisi, he was wealthy. But what I think you're pointing to is these are people in society that if you have wealth, there's no doubt you usually have power and influence. Right. So you're looking at their role in the church and is it possible that they have a notable effect on communities because they're well-known or their families are known? Quite possibly. And one of the criticisms about the saints is that too many of them are men or women in religious life because they have the groundswell to support the canonization process. So yes, if you are from a community and then perhaps well, you know, privilege or wealth, it's maybe that much more likely as opposed to the everyday farmer like St. Isidore, and he was a peasant farmer. How many of those people do we, you know, recognize for their incredible holiness? So I don't want to take away from Scholastica, right. you know, and I don't think you are, that's not your point. I think you're just raising questions, which is, um, I think there's two, there's a couple sides to it. So really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I'll need to, I think yeah. that maybe that'll be my focus for this year as I'm investigating or reading more mm-hmm. and learning more about the saints is their background and yeah. do more what than do too. more than just the hour long dive into St. Scholastica I did today, but maybe really do a year long study of, of, of their, the families um, where these yeah. saints come from, because you're right. Having, having means, having wealth and renouncing all of that uh, is remarkable. It's it's not something you see we see as much today. And I would imagine it was when in societies where there is such a, a system of you know wealth versus non wealth. I mean, one would say we have that still today, but um, it, it is fascinating that they would be able to do that. I just find it remarkable, for example, that you do have two saints. I mean, when I think of the saints, I think of these amazing 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 holy people who are just a little bit more than human and i know they're not they're human but they're saints and to have two from one family that just that seems incredible but maybe should it shouldn't it actually be the opposite that you know great saints come from really holy families like i mean the way that our families our parents shape us it it it, i know what you're saying because it's the same with like great athletes and i was watching this video in search of greatness we're showing it um i'm showing parts of it in class behind every great athlete is the parent who's totally selfless now he or she may not be the great athlete but wayne gretzky what he says about his father and his father's insight into what it takes to be great. It's I mean, it's genius. So his dad might not have been the athlete and, but Wayne, Wayne Gretzky is not Wayne Gretzky without his dad. I I really would say that. I don't think Barry Bonds is Barry Bonds. Now Barry Bonds is controversial, obviously didn't get in the hall of fame, but as an athlete, like without his father, there's so many of those examples. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So I'll buy into that because you're, I I can, that's a great analogy because you're right. 
it, it, whether it's the spiritual genes or the athletic genes, whatever is in the DNA and the way the families were raised, that that makes sense to me. I I was just I was just recently reading about Shannon Box, who soccer yeah. player played at Notre Dame's yeah. being inducted into the I believe it's the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, she's yes. won several gold medals. You know, just a, a longtime member of the U.S. national team. And her older sister was uh, an Olympic softball player. And I was reading this article and I had the same name. And at first I thought that they had miswritten her first name because it's, and I don't know if you pronounce it Jillian or Gillian. It's with a G. Um, I would say Jillian, but I know someone with a G who spells it that way. And she goes Hmm. by Gillian. So, but it was Gillian Box. And I kept thinking, oh, did she, they mistype it in the article. They meant Shannon Box because they were talking about this Olympian and then it, I go on to read the rest of the article and know it's Shannon's older sister. So same thing, right? Athletes come, they, sometimes you'll say, oh, what an athletic family. Well, I guess you're exactly right. Oh, what a holy family. Not different. Really, that analogy speaks to yeah. me. I got it. <laughs> well, that, I'm glad to hear that because I do, it's funny because the lesson where I teach about saints like Scholastica, Scholastica and Benedict is in my sports and spirituality class. So I, I, le- I left that out, but I talk about athletes who are siblings you have the mannings you have serena and venus williams and then there's twins the brian brothers you know the greatest doubles team of all time um you have married couples who are great athletes so it comes to mind because mia ham was playing in the golf tournament this weekend now her sport was soccer but her husband nomar garcia paras you have married couples who are great athletes and probably part of their draw to one another is that mutual understanding and That'd be interesting. And, you know, if faith is so important in your life, you're probably drawn. I mean, many people are drawn to another person for their faith and yeah, parents, child and and whatnot. So we are products of systems and systems of support. And that's a really good takeaway. Like what are, what are, you know, what are the systems of support that you're in? What do they value and reflecting on that? And what have you what have you inherited from your parents? Um, Kim Kleisters was a great tennis player. Her dad was a soccer player. She's Belgian, outstanding soccer player. But her mom was a gymnast. And the photo that I show of her in class, she's literally doing the splits to reach like a, a shot. And it's cool because her flexibility right, from her mother, the gymnast. So, what do we inherit from our parents? Is it our faith? Is it you know love of reading? Is it prayer? A commitment to prayer and holiness? Uh, that was certainly true in Mother Teresa's life. Her parents were very committed to giving to the poor. That's fairly well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and my students are always a little bit like, oh, that's a good, that's cool, that's good. But it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Right. No, and, and, and as a parent, it's a great reminder to reflect on what am I giving to my children? You know, we can certainly look at it as, as daughters, as sons and daughters, what have we inherited from our our own parents, and boy, there is a lot to think about there. Um, but I think also as parents, it's it's a good reflection of what are we, what are the values we're instilling in our own children? What are they going to take away from us? What is our legacy that will be passed on through them? And that that might be a that that's a that may be even a harder self reflection for me than looking at what I inherited from my own parents. What am mm-hmm. I passing on? Right. Yeah. And and how do I change well, that? I not, that? You know, my, my kids are 18 and 20. So in some ways, it, it it's not too late. It's never too late. There are still things that we can pass on to them. But 
I, I'd be, I, I would be nervous had I thought of this 18 years ago, because I would think every day, what am I doing? What am I passing on? What am I, what, what are they seeing in me that I'm going to yeah. share with them? Yeah. Yikes. Well, it, it kind of comes back to last week, you were talking about self-care and my takeaway for this week is about investing in yourself. So I'm thinking about this question and I'm thinking you're, you know, it's, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. What am I passing on? But if you, if you become your best self, you can only pass on what, you know, that to your children. So there's the direct, I want them to know X, Y, Z, but so much of it is modeling. So determining in your own life, yes, you know, reading about the saints and knowing that that's part of something you're interested in, you know, naturally you're going to pass certain things on as well. So and, I, I am a believer in investing in ourselves. And that, and that is truly, I think all any parent wants for their child is for them to take care of themselves. Right. We all, and so, so we need, we need to yes. model that ourselves as parents. We yes. want our children to do it. We need to do it ourselves and two, for them yeah. to be their best selves. It's, they don't have yeah. to be perfect. No one is. They don't have to be the best athlete. They don't have to get straight A's. We just want them to be their best selves. And if that is all we want for our children, our students, our godchildren, our nieces, our nephews, really the, the young people we care about and love about the most and love the most, then, then we do need to model that. And that is something we can all do. We can all invest in ourselves and just strive to be the best people we can be. And what a what an amazing, you're right, what an amazing role model even just that very simple thing would be. Okay, you made Great me feel better. <laughs> hey, I wanted to follow up before we sign off. Uh, we had talked about Notre Dame playing in the MLK Classic uh, against Howard University and mm -hmm. HBCU. And some of our listeners might be familiar with the fact that there were bomb threats at a number of historically black colleges and universities. So I'd like to pray for those communities as we celebrate Black History Month and recognize the contributions of Black Americans, but also work to make our country more uh, inclusive, accepting, and supportive of, you know, Black Americans, their culture, their universities, et cetera. And that game really is a small step in support. So a friend who is a close friends with Mike Bray told me that Coach Bray asked all the other schools in the ACC to add a game that is against an HBCU and the others have not done it yet. So it doesn't mean that they will. And I'm not trying to pat Notre Dame on the back and be like, way to go Irish. But in this case, yes, I think it's way to go Irish. Notre Dame is working very hard on, you know, it's, I call it SJEI, social justice, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I say that because of a religious context, but DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Notre Dame's working really hard at that. And this is a small step toward it. So thank you, Coach Bray. And um, Haley, I'm so glad you were able to go. I do wish they'd had a little more publicity, but you know, now we know about it and we can share the good word. So yeah, I agree. You know, that was a that was a tough couple days here you know, living in Annapolis. We have Howard University, we have Morgan State, there are HBCUs near us. And I have friends whose children go there. And they're, of course, they were the ones I immediately thought of when there were these bomb threats because 
that's the personal connection, right, of knowing a child who's actually there. It's um, it just it it it's maddening, uh, and there's so much to say about that. So probably not the time at the end of our podcast, but you're right to pray for understanding and healing and those who are 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 lost because I can't imagine someone who is not lost would would do such a thing. Um, so for their families, for the children who are there. And then praying for those who who made those threats. They they need they need prayers as well. But gosh, what a tough time! I can't imagine being the parent of a, a child who was there. And I just, even as a resident of the area, found it very disturbing. Um, mm. So there's mm. lots of healing that needs to take place there and, and across the country. So that's a great takeaway to keep to keep to keep just keep praying. Absolutely. Well, Anne, I hope you have a great week of self-care. I hope you find something that you can do that will will be your best self, help you be your best self. I will continue working. Admission season is still yeah. in first full swing. Um, but I also have a couple fun things in mind for myself to, to do that self-care as well. So I will join okay. you in that. But I rise up that funk and uh, yeah, February we're we're in it days are getting longer so for me personally i always just i take real delight appreciation in that just having a few more hours of daylight each day it's so nice to not drive to work in the dark or come home in the dark yes exactly thank you yes excellent well have a great week yeah bye-bye